Welcome to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Now on this episode, Pastor Kirk is going to be sharing his Monday Thursday message as we step towards our Easter celebration. So if you live in Northwest Arkansas and you're looking for a place to worship and gather with others and, and to serve with others, let me invite you to join us at Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville. You can find more information out at calvaryfayetteville.com or you can call us at 479-442-4634. Again, this is a special episode. It's one that we normally don't release, but Pastor Kirk shared a message on the Thursday night before Easter of 2022, and that's what this is. It's a sharing of that story, of, of those moments that Jesus took with his disciples. And it is a celebration of the Lord's Supper as we look towards that great sacrifice and we can rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's listen together. Well, if you have your Bibles or if you don't, if you have one there in the uh, pew in front of you, the book rack, uh, John chapter 12 is where we're going to read from tonight. John chapter 12. Page number 898. Last Sunday was Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday, more commonly known to us as Easter. Palm Sunday celebrates, as you know, the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem. And that came at a very momentous time. We'll talk a little more about that in just a moment. And of course, Resurrection Sunday is better known as Easter Sunday to us. A lot of debate about that name, but um, whether you call it Easter or Resurrection Sunday, it is the greatest day in the history of mankind. And this week that we're celebrating is the greatest and most important week in the history of mankind. Here in the middle of this historic week, we have Monday, Thursday. That Monday word seems maybe unusual, but it's Latin and it means mandate. And Thursday is recognized as the night uh, when the uh, upper room events took place that we've been talking about the last five weeks, where Jesus opened his heart to his disciples and he gave them the great mandate, this new commandment to love one another. Now, as I said over the last five weeks, we focused on some of those events. It's all recorded for us in detail in John 13 through 17. Of course, there was probably other things that took place, other words that were uh, spoken, but we are very blessed to have these five chapters that are almost exclusively the words of Jesus. But what I want to do for just a few minutes tonight before we take the Lord's Supper together is to back up to chapter 12 because chapter 12 kind of sets the stage for what happens in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Now, if you remember the running storyline, uh, Jesus leading up to chapter 12 and chapter 13 was increasingly uh, getting uh, the focus of the religious leaders. They were, um, they were ready to shut him up, to be very honest. 
Uh, he was running afoul of their plans and of their teachings. And Jesus actually had avoided the city of Jerusalem because it was not yet his time. His time had not yet come. So much so that in chapter 11, when his friends, Mary and Martha, who lived with their brother Lazarus there in the little village of Bethany, just over the hill, just over the Mount of Olives from the city of Jerusalem, a very close walking distance. When he received word in that uh, place where he was uh, staying away from the city that Lazarus uh, was sick and his sisters wanted Jesus to come because they believed he could heal their brother. If you remember... He did not come. He waited. And then uh, he said, okay, now it is time for us to go to Jerusalem. Now it's time to go to Bethany. And his apostles said, well, if, if Lazarus is, is uh, doing better, then, then there's no need. And he said, you need to understand Lazarus is dead. While we have delayed here, Lazarus died there. That wasn't a surprise to Jesus. It was the plan. And so as Jesus made his way towards Bethany, uh, the high, the leaders of the, of the city of Jerusalem, the religious leaders around the temple were on high alert. And so uh, there were various opinions about who Jesus was and what should be done about him. The pastor and author A.W. Tozer once said, What we think when we think of God is the most important thing about us. What we think when we think about God is the most important thing about your life. Everything else pales in comparison to what you think when you think of God, when you think of Jesus Christ. Well, in chapter 12, we see in, in, in great contrast how some different people thought of Jesus. I want you to notice, first of all, verses 1 through 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume." We'll pause right there. So you see in chapter 11, Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. That news had spread all around Jerusalem. So much so that Jesus had once again retired away from the city. And then he has come back to the city now. He is staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Here he is in perfect health. And around this time of scene of fellowship of these dear friends, the apostles looking on, Mary comes up with a pound of ointment. Very expensive. 
when we read about this in other gospels, it is, we discover that it's basically of the value of a working man's wages for an entire year. And she took this ointment, and some say it was a box, others it was a bottle. In some way, she broke it open, or she pierced the box, and she poured this expensive, um, very valuable ointment out on the feet of Jesus, and she begins to wash his, or to uh, wipe his feet with her hair. Mary is a person that demonstrates a passionate and adoring love for Jesus. Not passionate the way the world uses the word passion, but in the way that we speak of the passion of Christ. At great sacrifice, she poured this out. In adoration of Jesus as her Savior, she is willing to say, He is worth everything to me. She considered him of great value. She expressed that love in a tangible way. And it proved to be a blessing to almost everyone in the room. When they smelled the aroma, they uh, knew of the great sacrifice of Mary. It was an inspiration to them of the love that she was showing to her Savior. Now, I said it was a blessing to almost everyone. Because immediately you take up in verse 4 and 5 and you see another example of someone who felt very different about Jesus. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? And he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He would pilfer the bag for himself. In con contrast to Mary's passionate, extravagant, adoring love of Jesus, here is Judas who basically demonstrates a pretentious love. Not a passionate love for Jesus, not considering Jesus worth everything, but a pretentious love. He had been a pretender for three and a half years, and he was a pretender yet. In spite of seeing Jesus' uh, great works, in spite of hearing of his great words, he was a pretender. He expressed his love for the Lord. He expressed his devotion. Yes, he followed, but all that he was interested in was himself. His love for himself was greater than his love for Christ or the poor or anyone else. Well, if you continue on in the story, and if you were to go down to well, about verse 9, we find the uh, triumphal entry uh, beginning to take place. Uh, let's go down to verse 12 instead. The next day, the large crowd that had come to feast, come to the feast, had heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Hosanna means save us, we beg of you. Save us, we beseech you. It is a word from the Old Testament. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign, meaning raising Lazarus. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The people of Jerusalem turning out in thousands to welcome Jesus. Could this be the Messiah? Theirs was a popular love. They loved him and they expressed worship of him because of what they had heard that he had done. That he was not just a miracle worker, but he was a dead raiser. He raised Lazarus from the dead. That's the story that's circulating. But remember that these people, many of the same ones who turned out to welcome him and say, Hosanna to the king, save us, we beseech thee. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Less than a week later are going to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Give us instead Barabbas. So what did the people of Jerusalem and the surrounding villages think of the Lord? How did they consider him? As long as he would do miracles, as long as he would keep them entertained or give them a sense of hope or confidence, as long as he did the great things that caused everyone to be astounded, they would love him and follow him. But how quickly that changed. So Mary demonstrates a passionate, adoring, selfless, extravagant love. Judas demonstrates a pretentious love. He's just playing a game. The people of Jerusalem, they demonstrate a popular love. And as everyone knows, the popularity of a person to the crowd comes and goes. But then you see Jesus. Look down to verse 24. And Jesus demonstrates for us what a pure and perfect love looks like. Verse 24, let me find, there it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves this, his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
So Jesus talks about a seed drying up, dying, and falling to the ground. Seemingly dead and hopeless. But in fact, it's going to come alive. It's going to bear fruit. Jesus is talking about himself, is he not? Isn't that what he is speaking of? That a man has to die to himself? This is true love. This is perfect love. This is complete and pure love. The very first statement almost of the next chapter, chapter 13, in the upper room on Thursday night, it's going to say, Jesus, having loved his disciples, he loved them all the way to the end. Meaning he loved them with a complete love, a perfect love, a love that could not be improved upon. Little did anyone realize when he spoke those words that in just a few days they were going to see him nailed to a cross. Dying to himself, living unto his father, and even less did they realize after three days he was going to take up his life again. He would be resurrected and there would be a great harvest, a great fruit bearing because of his death and resurrection. We are the recipients of that this evening. You know as well as I knew all this had to unfold for these disciples one day at a time. But these loves say a lot to you and me. Do we have a love for the Lord like Mary had? Passionate, extravagant, willing to give ourselves away to show him how much we love him? Or like Judas, are we playing a game in our love? Are we just pretending? Are we trying to keep up appearances before others? Hopefully no one here is doing that. Is our love just a love of popularity so long as he blesses me? So long as he fulfills my desires, I'll follow him. But, but when hard times come, I'll bail. Hopefully we don't have that kind of love. And is our love maybe like Jesus's, that it's growing into a true and a pure and a perfect love that you and I are willing to die to ourselves in order that the Lord may accomplish his life and his purpose in us. Hebrews chapter 10 says this, Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. And by that will we have been and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Well indeed sin had left a crimson stain, but because of Jesus' perfect, because of his pure, because of his selfless love for you and me a way was made. Jesus, after the events of that Thursday evening, again, that we've been focusing on in recent weeks, is about to show the depth of his love by becoming a sacrificial lamb. The lamb 
who was slain from the foundation of the world. He was going to go to the cross on that Friday, what we often refer to as Good Friday, which is more recognized today maybe as a day out of school or a day off work or a long weekend than it is for what it should be known for, and that is the sacrifice, the bloody sacrifice of Christ. Those of you that are Baptists have heard over the years maybe of the expression, the trail of blood. You're familiar with that. It was a little booklet, and it was a little booklet written about the history of the Lord's church. And basically the idea is since the days of the apostles, you can follow the history of the Lord's church by the blood that has been shed by those people who stood for for the truth of God's word, who preached the gospel, and they paid for it with their lives. But I want to say to you, the trail of blood did not begin in the days of the apostles in the book of Acts. The trail of blood began in the book of Genesis, in the Garden of Eden. There was an animal or animals slain in that perfect place and their skins taken to make clothing, covering for Adam and Eve because they had sinned against God and they were ashamed in their nakedness, no longer living in the majesty of innocence, but now in the shame of their guilt. And so an animal or animals had to be sacrificed in order to cover for their sins. That was a picture of Christ. Down in Egypt, many years later, the Passover lamb that was sacrificed and the blood applied to the doorpost and the lintel of, of those homes who trusted in the Lord. Those who were under the blood and who believed in the word of the Lord and the promise of God, not realizing fully that that was a picture of what was to come when Jesus would shed his blood, but that Passover lamb again was Christ in the Old Testament. All the fulfillment of all the bloody sacrifices in the Old Testament. Thousands and thousands of lambs, of goats, of bulls, of turtle doves, of pigeons, of all kinds of animals, all pointing towards the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ when he would come and as the book of Hebrews tells us once for all he would pay for our sins that we no longer need those sacrifices we can't offer enough sacrifices to cover our sins Jesus did it for us when he carried our sins to the cross but folks understand even with his bloody self-sacrifice motivated by his deep, deep love. If Jesus had remained in the grave, it would have been worthless. It was all established and confirmed by the Father with the resurrection of his son Jesus Christ from the dead. And that last evening with his disciples... That last evening, 2,000 years ago, he instituted a memorial service, what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion, signified by a small piece of unleavened bread. If you would go ahead and open up 
uh, the bread in your cup. And if you'd like to, go ahead and open up the top where the juice is. As they were sitting at the table, the Passover meal, everything very normal as far as what they were eating and the order in which they ate it until Jesus took the bread and said, this is my body. This represents my body that is broken for you. And this fruit of the vine represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. And for 2,000 years, God's people have been remembering the sacrifice of Christ. Every time we come to the table, we need to remember that this is a look towards the past. It is a time of remembrance, remembering what Christ has done for us. It is also a time to look at the presence. It is a time of reflection, to look at my own heart. What's the state of my love for Christ? What is the state of my obedience of Jesus? And it is a look forward. It is a time as solemn as it is, it is a time of rejoicing. Why? Because Jesus told those apostles, there's going to come a day that I'm going to eat this with you again, but it's going to be in my Father's kingdom, and I'll be there with you. Well, Matthew also records it and says this in Matthew 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And so along with this very same apostle that recorded this gospel we've been looking at so closely for several weeks. In the last book that he writes, Come Quickly, Lord Jesus. And that is our prayer tonight. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.